Welcome to another episode of Practice What You Teach, a weekly teacher podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Hare, and joining me as always are my two great co-hosts, Mr. Lumpkin. Hello there. And Mr. Moreland. Hello. Every week we dive deep into the weekly topics and talk about what it's like to be a teacher. If you'd like to follow us, you can do that on our Twitter account, which is at PWUT Podcast or P What? P What Podcast. Again, that's at P What Podcast. And this week we're going to talk about a few different topics. For one, we're going to talk about our quick news story of the week. We're going to talk about the poll results of our most recent poll and lay out a new poll. We're going to then jump right into the sports of the week. We have some exciting news. And then we're going to talk about, instead of club news, we're going to talk about a news story that just came through not that long ago. This is breaking news about district choir honors. So we're very excited to talk about that. Mm -hmm. From there, we each have an interesting news story of the week. And then our burning question, which I'm very excited for. But I'd like to catch up. Mr. Lumpkin, how was your week this week? What's been going on? I've been battling the same sickness since last week where I'd almost lost my voice before the podcast, but I'm doing a little bit better now. I've been through the week probably popping cough drops every five minutes, which we know as teachers it can be kind of rough to actually get some time off and write sub plans in the moment. So I've been trying to battle through as best I can. Hopefully I haven't gotten any students sick on the way here, but we're here at the end of the week. Long weekend to look forward to. Hopefully some rest to catch up on. So it's been a good week talking about weather with the kids, and I'm excited to Take a little bit of time, give them the weekend, the rest, and rest my own voice, and then come back and hit the road hard next week. Excellent. I'm glad you're uh, you're you're feeling better than you did last week. Yes. So hopefully it will get you three days, and you'll feel even better on Tuesday. Mr. Moreland, how you been doing? How's your week? What's going on? What's new? Uh, it's been a little bit rough, but not because of anything like bad. It's just you know it's always kind of tough to have like a day off in the middle of the week, and then you know have all the kids looking forward to the three day weekend coming up. So just kind of a little bit hectic, but you know, we made it through pretty good and uh, they're pretty well. And, you know, looking forward to next week to, we're going to start reading Taming of the Shrew in our 10th grade class. And for 11th grade, we're going to finish up a uh, Faulkner story. And then we're going to move into uh, Tim O'Brien. Excellent. I, I like the way that sounds and look forward to that Taming of the Shrew with your 10th grade class. I'm sure they're going to love it. I'd like to dive directly into what we're uh, going to be talking about here as far as sports night today. The uh, 8th of November, Friday, is going to the last football game of the year. So tonight is senior night. Our opponent is Parkview. Uh, volleyball is done for the season, but cheer is starting up for now, the, uh, football and basketball. So they're going to be doing a lot of exciting stuff. And we've got a lot of sports clubs practicing as we're coming into the new quarter. So a lot of exciting things to go there. I wanted to, if you might, if you guys would indulge me and take a moment of uh, personal, uh, I wanted to talk about the district honors for the choir results, which mm -hmm. came from Ms. Schneck earlier today. Um, I'd, I'd like to point out 23 of our students auditioned for the all district honors choir and 10, a record for a Mass Park High School, were accepted. So if you are a part of that, or if you see anyone that's a part of it, if you know anyone that's a part of it, I want you guys to get out there and congratulate them. If you see the, the choir teacher, anyone at all that's involved in this, make sure you get out there and wish them a congratulations. Now, I do want to jump in. Uh, Mr. Mullen, do you have the results of our poll from last week pulled up? Well, I have both. I have So we didn't actually get to the results of the poll we did for October 25th. That's right. Uh, and that actually is relative to what we're going to be doing in my English 10 class because it was which Shakespeare play is your favorite? And the choices were Romeo and Juliet, Taming of the Shrew, Julius Caesar, and Macbeth. And we've only had two votes, uh, but both choices were, I guess, the ones that are typically taught. Romeo and Juliet was one of the votes 
and Tammy of the Shrew is the other. So I'm glad that Tammy of the Shrew is on there too, because that's something we're going to be reading. Uh, so unfortunately, Julius Caesar and Macbeth did not make the cut. But I mean, me personally, I think Julius Caesar is pretty good. It's a historical play. It's a, of course got some elements of fiction as well. But you know, it's it's pretty interesting to me. It is kind of dry though. There's a lot of talking and you know some action, but not much. Whereas Timmy the Shrew is you know more of a comedy, and Romeo and Juliet, I guess, is like you know the whole young people in love and tragedy. So, but that's the results of that poll, and then the results of the poll from last week dealing with M and M's. We actually had much more response to that one. Uh, we had five votes. Five times as many, or uh, twice as many, yeah. Yes, so we actually had a loser, but we didn't have a winner this time. I was kind of hoping we have a clear winner, but the choices were milk, chocolate, peanut, almond, or caramel. With one vote, milk, chocolate, I guess technically wasn't last because at least somebody voted for it, mm -hmm. uh, received 20% of the vote. Peanut and almond tied with 40%. So two people voted for peanut, two people voted for almond. Nobody voted for caramel, but that might change. Think so? Yes. I had, uh, we did a Kahoot game today to review for the sonnet quiz that the students had to, you know, for the pre Shakespeare lessons and the students that got first, second, and third place received a little tiny bag of M&Ms because I had Halloween candy left over. And the students who got the caramel M&Ms said, wow, where did you get these? Like what, can I get a bigger bag of these? And I was like, yeah, you can probably get a bigger bag at the store. I mean, I think they have like the, at least the traditional size bags. Now, because like, we're going to go get some of these. These are great. The caramel are even better than the peanut. And I was really surprised to hear them say that. So the lack of votes for caramel may just be because people don't know about it. So once people actually start to try the caramel M&Ms and taste them, that might, you know, gain more popularity in the future. We'll see. Excellent. Hopefully we'll get some more votes. We're going to leave that up until the end of the show at least. And then we'll have a brand new poll at the end of this episode. Yes. New poll at the end of this episode. So that's excellent. I did want to jump right into our interesting news story. Mr. Lumpkin, I saw you had pulled one up. If you don't mind, share that with us. I did. So as many people that have listened to this podcast have probably taught me before, I am a fanatic when it comes to dinosaurs and paleontology. But what they might not know is that one of my other passions is the environment. I used to actually work uh, with a handful of different programs with trying to get out and helping with the environment. And then I saw this week that there are currently some issues going down in Florida with Jenny Springs. So it's always a controversy when you have a big corporation moving in to be able to capitalize on natural resources. In particular, water bottling companies can be kind of egregious to this. So with Florida being in a state where they've already got low groundwater issues and being in a state that also has issues with groundwater, uh, with saltwater seepage into their groundwater, it looks like Nestle wants some more fresh water from the freshwater springs in Jenny Springs to be able to capitalize on the actual natural resources there. And people seem to be, well, actively upset about this, going out and actually going out and um, uh, demonstrating or protesting against Nestle work coming in and possibly doing damage to both the ecosystem and doing damage to the resources that they naturally have out there. I thought it was very interesting to have it brought up again, and it's always something that we need to keep mindful of when we're paying attention to our natural resources, the pollution that goes into them, and the irresponsible usage of said resources uh, that we need to pay attention to our communities. Excellent, excellent point here. I, you know, Nestle has a reputation for mm -hmm. buying up uh, water rights and then selling out water to people at a profit that they didn't get to drain for free. Yep. Um, it is something that I have kept an eye on for the past several years. 
but it is good to know that there are people who are letting the corporate powers know like, hey, this is something that we care deeply about and you're going to have to think twice if you want to just take our water. Mr. Moreland, I see you've got some good news. Well, it's kind of good news. Uh, if you guys aren't aware, there's a big fire epidemic in California. Right. And uh, they're having a lot of trouble fighting it. There's a lot of red tape and issues and all sorts of stuff people are debating about when it comes to that. But there's a lot of people trying to do some good about it, too. And so John Cena, if you guys know who he is. The wrestler. The wrestler, yes. The wrestler slash actor. He mm-hmm. is an actor. Very uh, good has donated $500,000 to California firefighters and he got his film company that he's working with for his new film uh, to do the same. Nice. His new film playing with fire. Uh, So that's a really good thing. And I think that's going to be a step in the right direction to get some people, you know, to do the right thing and and figure out what we need to do to figure out this problem and solve the, the problem of these wildfires out in California. There's a lot of, different debate about what to do about it but when it comes down to it just you know get it taken care of get it taken you know get the fires out and help people get back to normal with their lives and everything there's a lot of people are affected there's a guy who apparently died because the electricity was turned off because mm-hmm. they're worried about it sparking a fire or something like that and he had life support equipment that was not able to be used and therefore he died so it's not just affecting the environment it's not just affecting you know the government or whoever it's affecting individual people. So we need to make sure we, you know, solve the problem and, and, you know, make sure nobody else has to suffer. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I've noticed with these wildfires is they brought a lot of people together to try to do whatever they can to help out. I think this is one of those purely human tragedies where anything, you know, we're all have some fear of fire, especially one that we don't control. So hopefully uh, the people in California can get the help they need. Hopefully this this money is able to get put toward use and we can do something about those fires out there, those pesky forest fires. I've got a new story as well. And as I've been talking to you guys, I know every so often you guys indulge me and allow me to talk about quantum physics. And that really makes me happy as someone who absolutely adores quantum physics and think that it's beautiful. But new research has synthesized different aspects of causality in quantum field theory. Now, I know I've delved into this before when we talked about how causality is the act of cause and effect, how you can do a thing which will cause another thing to happen. Uh, And what right now, we're talking about causality where something, the effect precedes the cause, which again would mean that we've either time traveled or we've broken the stream of time or the absolute arrow pointing in one direction. Well, there is a Feynman diagram that I will link off in the show notes that tells us that if you have two particles that annihilate each other, so this is say an electron and a positron, so matter and antimatter, you get a burst of energy and the new particles will be Uh, spawned from this. We have different diagrams. So one diagram shows a standard time going from left to right. Then we have another one where it's going vertically. But there's also a scenario where the particles that would come out of this, so the new particles from the creation, would be preceding the particles annihilating themselves, which isn't the way it's supposed to go. But in current quantum field theory, causality is typically defined by the vanishing of field communicators for space-like separations. What that basically means is two particles meet and energy is is released. But some people at the University of Massachusetts and the Universidad Federal Rural in Rio de Janeiro have come up with 
a study discussing and synthesizing some of the key aspects of causality and quantum theory. So what they're basically doing is they're experimenting with these high energy particles and finding that they can have these particles created before the initial particles are annihilated, which again means causality depends on who's observing and when. And if we're able to get these scenarios where we can determine when things happen and when things are supposed to be causing other things, we might be able to play with the timeline and get that time machine that everybody wants so bad. So I'm very excited about this. This is a momentous occasion, and I, I, I'm excited to see what comes next. Supposing that mentality, if you're using causality to make a time machine, I guess that would work for an observer at some point, but that would, that would also mean that anything that ever happened could not be changed because of causality, right? I think so. I, I'm not sure how, how that would work if something's already happened and we try to go back and change it. I think this is more like if we want to, say, move an object from one place mm -hmm. to another, we can have the object move without the preceding cause to move it. Hmm. So it'll already just be, be there. there. So it'll really help us when we're trying to move to a new house. We just already, all of our <laughs> things are in the new house. We don't have to move it ourselves where, the, where the, the effect will precede the cause. That's what That's this is more interesting. Like. Okay. It's very exciting and I'm very excited for it. I can't wait for to see where this research goes. But with all that being said, enough of the boring stuff, we actually looked at our burning question. We've actually discussed what the burning question should be several times over. And we've sat down and I think we've come up with a pretty good one this week. This week's question is, what makes for a responsible citizen? Now I've linked off in the show notes, uh, the uh, the Statesman, which is one of the uh, Platonic dialogues. But uh, I did want to ask, Mr. Moreland, what do you think makes for a responsible citizen? Well, I think calling out problems when they arise is, is important, but doing it in a way that's productive. I think sometimes people think, oh, this isn't right, so we got to do something about it, and they don't actually think about what the process requires of that, how it actually has to take place. Change happens gradually, typically, because it allows people to examine it. That's why the, the, this country was created the way that it was. It was not created to make change easy, but that was on purpose because they didn't want anybody to make quick changes that could affect the country in a negative way, you know, and then regret it later. It becomes gradual so that that way you can assess whether or not it's a good change or not. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes change comes quicker than you can think, you know, and there's also other countries to, to think about if they start doing things that affect us, that might be an instantaneous, instantaneous change instead of like a, something you can like think about. But calling out negative things like the civil rights movement was very important for this country in particular, uh, abolishing slavery. A lot of the things that are, you know, heinous violations of human rights need to be called out. But at the same time, thinking about the situation and the things involved and what causes those things to come to happen. So that's something that I think is the trait of a good citizen. Uh, also caring about other people, and that doesn't just apply to people who are of means to do so, but everybody. So for example, if, if you are in a bad situation and you have a friend who's wealthy, telling that person or asking that person for money would be an easy fix, but at the same time, is that caring about that person? Is that just using them? 
right? I, I was listening to some comedians on the internet last night. I don't know if anybody knows who Bernie Mac is. I do know who Bernie Mac is. But he was talking about how, you know, people always like put on this act like, oh man, times are tough. You know, like they give you like this old sob story and, you know, then they ask for money when you, once you become wealthy. And I think that wealth does lend itself to having some kind of responsibility for that wealth. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you should just give money to everybody who asks for it. And I think that those people who are asking for it also need to take a step and say, wait a minute, what am I doing to try to better myself? Am I trying to do everything in my power to make my situation better? Is, is what I'm doing going to put somebody else out? You know, and I think that if, if you're a proper citizen, you're thinking about your the actions and what your actions and how they affect other people in your society. Like John F. Kennedy said, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I think a lot of people have gotten away from that. And that's not necessarily a good thing because while the state, you know, of today has an obligation to provide for citizens when they are down and out, that doesn't mean everybody should be content with being down and out. It's supposed to be a hand up, not a hand out. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that's a sign of a good citizen is when you're like, I don't want to be in this situation, but I can't help it. And so I'm going to do what I can to get out of it. But I appreciate the help now because maybe down the line I'll be in a situation where I can do the same for somebody else. That's what it's supposed to be. But when everybody just seems to think that they want to have the easiest life, that's not always a good thing. And I think a good citizen knows there's going to be tough times. There's going to be times you have to like tighten your belt or maybe, you know, find another way, but you don't want to be a burden on society. I think that was a very good point. I agree mm -hmm. with you on a lot of those. Um, Mr. Lumpkin, what do you think it means? Well, if you don't mind, I'm probably going to end up echoing a whole lot of Mr. Moreland's points because I think as educators, a lot of what our job ends up being is trying to make students or at least model for students what we think responsible citizens are, right? A lot of what we end up speaking up behind the curtains when we're talking with admin or talking with uh, the larger state and half is like one of our biggest pillars of when we're teaching students is how to make them citizens and successful citizens and responsible citizens. But I think... A lot of what we've been talking about for burning questions before, when we've talked about justice, when we've talked about uh, equality of outcome, equality of opportunity, all kind of link back to this a little bit, where we've been talking a little bit more so about like what a community is, what a culture is, what a culture, uh, what a culture must give to the people, what the people must give back to that community. And I think being a citizen, in particular being a responsible citizen, is realistically Everything Moreland just said, but I think if I'm backing up just to look at it from the most basic, being a community builder, or at least a community supporter, being someone who has got an idea that has the bigger picture in mind, or at least the picture of, of their own community, of their own citizenship, whether that be a family, whether that be the actual local uh, situation, local community, whether that be a bigger idea or a smaller idea, someone who is a responsible citizen is thinking for themselves, first off or at least supporting other people in their thoughts and being able to build the community that is around them, building the culture that is around them and taking part in that. Exactly taking part in the, and that can change from time to time, whether that's being someone who's thinking of financial gains for themselves or how to help other people with their own financial gains, 
time to time that can be how I'm going to help the community, how I'm going to support it, or it can be in a form of a lot of different ways from just giving emotional support to family members or your neighbor. I think being a responsible citizen is taking a moment to have an empathetic response, to actually think and feel about the people around you and have an idea of what to do to move forward, to continue the community that you're part of, the community that you're a citizen of, and how to both maintain it and how to improve it positively. I think that at the very basis to be a responsible citizen is to take ownership of that fact of being part of a community and having pride in the situation that you're in and being able to support it, at least in a, even if it's just subjective, a positive way. Because you rely, oh, yeah, you owe yourself that and you owe your community that, the one that's up there to support you, right? And I think Mr. Moreland pulled out so many good examples for how that would actually go forward, for how someone would do that. I'm not going to try and come back with a lot of those, but I, exactly. I think being a responsible citizen is someone, or is being a person and seeing this modeled for them, being able to go forward, build your community, take part in that community and be a, a positive individual. And a, a, what would be the other word? Being a observant individual as well, being mindful of the situation around you instead of trying to remain ignorant for the sake of life being easier. Right. And I think even if things are bad, like if you feel like society is not good, mm -hmm. like it's not fair or, you know, whatever gripe you might have, I mean, nothing's ever going to be perfect. No. But we read a story in our 11th grade class, barn burning, about a guy who basically goes around burning all the the sharecropper owners, you know, they're back then sharecropping, you were a tenant on a farm. It was basically like, you know, the plantation owner still had all this land. So he got like tenant farmers to work on it. And he maybe didn't actually give them as much money as he should have. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't exactly a good situation for the sharecroppers. It was actually, you know, pretty messed up. But he goes around burning the barns of everybody he's sharecropping on and then leaving and going on the next, uh, next sharecrop situation. And I was telling the students, I'm like, just because this situation is not right and it's not fair. And you have this society that clearly is in need of, of reform doesn't excuse the negative actions of this guy. You don't make things better by being just as bad or worse as the people that are causing the problem. You make things better by actually doing something to better yourself, better those around you and instill good values in your community and your, and your family, because that's, what's going to be much more impactful than, you know, just behaving badly in response to a bad situation or a bad mm -hmm. system. You do things better to show people that this is the better way to go. You don't make it worse. I think all those are really good points. I, and I'm, I, I kind of want to, I want to pivot. I, I think that when it comes to being a responsible citizen, I think that being a responsible citizen ensures that you make your society better mm -hmm. and whatever unit you choose to start with, you need to ensure that you start there. So even if you are a member of the society, that means you have to make yourself better to make society better. If you are a part of a family, then you have to improve your family to make society better. If you're a part of a neighborhood, then you have to improve your neighborhood to make that better. If you're part of a town and so on. So if you're part of a town, a city, a state, well, I say state, I mean like a commonwealth like Virginia yeah. and then, of course, the nation at large. But the reason why I say that, you know, I think that if your intention is to make a just and equitable society, that's, and this is personal. So I think that every citizen should look at our society with a critical eye and always say, is our society moving toward a just and equitable society? I, I, I think that 
that's more important than anything else. You know, when we have our society and we have all these things happening and we look at each other and if I look at what I think is injustice, then I have no choice but to speak out. I need to be a injustice needs to be abhorrent to me. That's a personal stake in this. And I think that as long as I'm doing that, as long as I'm going in the world to root out and remove injustice, then I'm being a responsible citizen. Like I'm taking my citizenship and saying my citizenship won't allow me to to allow injustice because my country says there will be no injustice. So if that's a thing that I'm going to be fighting for, then my country says it's not going to be any, then I need to make sure there's not any. That would make me responsible. And that means sometimes we have to take a look at it with a critical eye. What is it that we find to be unjust? Um, and that may change, you know, as I become older or things that I thought were just before have not been so just things that if I've gotten older, it's like I have a better understanding of this. Maybe what I thought was injustice before I didn't have a good understanding of. And I've had to reevaluate what the means to make that just because before we as you as I've aged, like I had a blanket answer for everything. Well, I, we need to go get rid of that. Well, no, maybe that works, but just not the right way. So we need to change this to make it work the right way. So I think being a citizen, the most uh, the most important thing to being a responsible citizen is to have a critical eye to towards yourself, towards your family, towards your neighborhood, towards your village, your town, your city, your state, and eventually, of course, your nation. As long as you are critical of yourself and as long as you are allowing of people to be critical of you, then that will aid you in your quest to be a responsible citizen. And it all kind of that kind of relates to the concept of humility. Absolutely. And I, I agree with the idea of starting in the home because that's that's like I told my students, we can't necessarily do things about the world at large or even the country at large. But we could do something about Manassas Park. We could do something about our homes, our streets, our school, our neighborhood. Yeah, our school. school and that's where it needs to start, because government and society is really just a reflection of the people. That's a fact. Yes, yeah, I do think the government can always do better. I, I always want the government to do more. I, I think, and that's again, I, I think that there are things that I consider to be injustices that we perpetuate on a societal level that need to stop and need to change. That's my personal opinion. Everyone may not agree with me on that, and that's fine. But I need to allow those people who don't agree with me to be critical of my ideas the same way they have to allow me to be critical of their ideas. We may not come out on the end agreeing, but we hopefully will come out on the end with better ideas. And I think that's the, the best outcome. So with all that being said, let's pivot directly into uh, our new poll for the week. Mr. Mullen, what do you think? What do you got? Well, I just came up with this off the top of my head. Uh, we read a poem uh, in my English 10 class. Of course, we're doing Shakespeare. It was actually a sonnet. Uh, and it was the sonnet, I, think it was, I believe it's sonnet 18, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? And that led me to think, well, what about other seasons? So our new poll for this week is going to be which season is your favorite? We can it's, actually include all four in one of our polls. That's right. That's part of the reason why yeah. I selected this. So I think it's a great idea. Spring, summer, fall, also known as autumn, or winter. As a spring baby, I'm going to go with spring. It's a hard one for me, actually. That's actually a really hard one. As someone who enjoys and loves autumn and watching actually like the beauty of nature change. I am a winter baby and I do love the cold. Some of my earliest memories are actually from being outside in the snow. Really? Yes. That's awesome. That's the, my first memories actually being out in the snow with my uncle and, and running around the yard and just like enjoying 
being outside and being able to be old enough to actually well, one, remember stuff, but two, actually be out on my own. To participate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about you there, Mr. Moore? When I lived in Florida, I probably would have said winter, fall, because that was like when it was least... Oppressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now that I live in Virginia, I think I like summer better because, I don't know, like, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I didn't have to worry about what I needed to wear. You know? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like when it's winter, it's always either too cold or like there's snow and then, you know... That's a big mess. I do like winter though, but I just feel like it's a little bit of a hassle. Fall's nice. You know, I got married in fall. My wife likes fall. Uh, spring is also nice. It's, you know, all the plants come back to life, but I think I just like summer because it's, it's relaxing as a teacher. We get off uh, and, uh, you know, it's just a warm season. I just like, I think I like summer the best. Awesome. It looks like we have three different votes from three different hosts. We're going to ask you guys to sell this one for us. You want to go to at PWUT podcast or be what? He what podcast <laughs> to go ahead and vote in this week's poll. We'd like to thank you all for listening to us. Practice what you teach is a podcast that we create here weekly. It's a weekly teacher podcast at Manassas Park High School. We record every week and we're looking forward to recording with you next week. We'll have new polls. We'll have a new guest and hopefully we'll have new content for you to enjoy. So with all that being said, we'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening to us today. Thank you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>